just great to see you. I'm going to invite you to join with me in prayer. Let's ask God to bless the preaching of the word. Uh, Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. You've, you've promised to uh, accomplish the purpose for which you send this word, and so uh, use that word to guide and direct us, to, to edify us and fulfill us. In Jesus' name we ask it all. Amen. So good morning once again. Good to see you. Uh, we've come to the place where we learn about the love of Jesus, that love that has no limits, a love that is unfailing, a love that started by loving us when we were unlovable. Now that's what we talk about here at Amazing Love. And to get things going, um, I'm not much for resolutions as far as the New Year's go, and I know it's not even close to the New Year's anymore. Um, did anyone make a, a New Year's resolution? Just kind of curious. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because once you make a resolution, it's, it's like the next day you break it, right? So, but, but I have determined a category of life that I think if, if we were collectively done with it, life would be much, much better. My life, your life, if we were just categorically done with this category, it'd be better. And that is insecurity. You know what I'm talking about? What if in 2019 and for the rest of our lives, we could be done with insecurity? Because consider the damage that insecurity does. Insecurity wrecks our peace. It can keep us up at night. Asking questions like, have I done enough? Have I done too little? Have I done too much? Did I say the right thing? Did I do the right thing? Ah! That's what insecurity does. Insecurity wrecks relationships. Kind of makes you needy asking, do you like me now? What about now? What about now? Insecurity also, I believe, is one of the reasons we are prone to put other people down. And maybe we don't even say, you know, bad things about others, but we like to hear bad news because of how it makes us feel better. In fact, I was doing some research on theories of why is it so popular to put other people down. I came to a website called Quora, and, and here was an answer. They said putting people down, putting down weak people, somehow gives a false sense of superiority and helps them reestablish their self-esteem. AKA, you know what I want to put you down? It's because I'm insecure about myself, right? Doing more research, I, I found one mommy who was recently put down. Um, she had just had a baby, and she had a circle of friends who were commenting about her new appearance after having a baby. Now, is that a good thing to be hearing after just having a baby? That should be a no-man territory, or no-woman territory right? But she blogged about it and she felt all that critique. And why? Because around her probably stood many body conscious individuals who were doing anything to make themselves feel better by putting someone else down. The quote came up in her blog and something that I think I can relate to is this, that blowing out someone else's candle doesn't make yours shine any brighter. It's the reality of putting others down. But the culture we live in does this frequently. It's, I, I believe, at the essence of what bullying is all about. Do you know that many times the, the biggest bullies are also the most insecure? The ones who want to feel better because, again, they, they have so many self-doubts about how they actually are. That's their solution. And then have you ever watched the news and the reporters who report many different things, but 
almost give off the impression that they're so high above everything else that they're reporting. They're aghast at all these atrocities, but they are perfect people who could never relate to anything going on in the news. That's the age we live in. We love to put others down. We love to see bad characters. We love to have a, a worse example than ourselves. Uh, it, it's what fuels a lot of our TV. Um, a lot of our TV is usually bad examples that can make the, the, the normal problems of the world feel a little bit better. Our solution for insecurity. So what do you think? Do you want to be done with insecurity? I'm glad you came today, because we're going to answer it in just one Sunday. You're going to be free from insecurity the rest of your life. <laughs> I'm kidding, right? But what I love is that when we gather around the Word of God, there is such power, there is such a tool, there's such a key in Scripture that if we use it on a regular basis, I believe can help us with this thing called insecurity that we're going to have to manage the rest of our lives. And that answer, I believe, is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that sets sinners like you and I free, sinners who don't have it all together free once and for all. And that's what we've come to talk about today, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've come to our conclusion of the series, What Would Jesus Undo? And, and, and we've been taking a look at all the categories that would break the heart of God. What was Jesus against? In fact, last week, if you were here, you heard some very strong words of Jesus against the Pharisees. Woe to the Pharisees. He called them hypocrites. He called them a brood of vipers. He was against them because of their hypocrisy. Well, today he addresses in a parable that of spiritual pride. Spiritual pride that, that may actually be uh, uh, actually evidence of insecurity. Those who act overconfident because really they don't know where they stand. And so Jesus is going to address that today in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector and how they pray. Now, what he's really answering is how does one become right with God? I don't know if you've ever asked that question. How do I become right with God? I would propose to you, it's one of the only questions that will matter for all of eternity. How do I become right with God? And the Pharisee sets up an example. What we'll learn from the Pharisee is that the Pharisee's example and answer to this is that my outward actions, me being a good person, is how I am right with God. In fact, I would permit to you, that's what many people believe. As long as I have more good than bad... I know I'm not a perfect person, but as long as I'm not the worst, then if I'm a good person, I'm, I'm right with God. That's what the Pharisee thought. But then we had the example of the tax collector, who provides a different solution to this problem. How do I become right with God? And, and all he asks for is mercy, that God would do for him what he couldn't do for himself. That God would make propitiation, which is just a sacrifice of atonement for his own sins. And that's what we're going to learn from today. So are you ready? Let's get into the word of God. It's recorded in your worship folder. You can follow along on the screen. We're in Luke. And it says, 
to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. This is almost laughable, by the way. Like, I, I, I can't imagine coming to, to, to this service along with you, and, and we could just be like, God, I thank you that the people at Amazing Health, we're just better than other people, you know? I'm glad that we're a little brighter, shinier, smarter than the rest of the bunch, you know? You probably love us a little bit more too, huh? Can you imagine praying this prayer? It's the height of ridiculousness. And then he goes on to say, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. All right, so that's his prayer. But the tax collector stood at a distance, wanted to be hidden. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me. Man, I'm a sinner. I'm messed up. I'm lost. Look what Jesus says about this. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified right before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves, they will be exalted. This is the powerful word of God. If you're sitting next to someone, could you tell them this message, there is mercy in Jesus. There is mercy in Jesus. There is mercy in Jesus. All right, let's dig into the scriptures. Would anyone agree that it's easier to live by your own standards than by the standards of someone else? Do you agree with that hypothesis? I consider this when working out. When I work out, it's easier to live by my own standards. For I can always tell myself when I want to stop. If I'm running and I feel like doing a half a mile, I can make that my standard for the day and feel really good about it. And maybe you can relate to that too. Or maybe I can say I don't need one last rep, no one's watching, it's my own standard anyway. But I'm just curious, has anyone ever hired a personal trainer? Were their standards harder than your own? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of their job, isn't it? Right? Living to the standards of someone else. And they know exactly how to push you and to get the most out of you. It's kind of an awful thing. You kind of question, like, I paid for this? But anyway, but, but it's hard to live up to those standards. It's also true if you've ever been in a household that eats a little bit different than you. I remember going to a buddy's house as a high schooler. And, and once I entered this healthy household, I could almost feel the absence of junk food. And my body started kind of revolting. And I didn't know if I'd be comfortable if I could sleep at night without a full stomach full of sugar. I wasn't sure how it was going to go. I could feel this different standard, and I didn't know what to do. Which is why, again, it was easy to live my own standards of diet, my own standards of working out. And that's true for so many different categories, isn't it? My own standard works a little bit better. That's also the age we live in when it comes to morality, isn't it? We live in an age where we want to set the standard for morality. And, and part of the reason is because if we set the standard, it's going to be easier to follow. And, and, and so far, uh, that's what culture has been saying. As long as you, know, you don't judge my standard, I won't judge your standard, and, and hopefully no one will get hurt along the way, and, and we'll all be good. Right? We call that subjective morality. The reason we've gotten there is, again, this, this principle, if you're taking notes, it's easier to get right when we set the standard. 
Now, pastor, what does this have to do with the Word of God? Well, I'm glad you asked. When it comes to the Pharisee, one of the reasons that he is so filled with pride, so confident about his own goodness, is because he is setting his own standard. Consider what he praises God that he is doing. He is praising God for this, that I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Now, let me ask you a trick question, or maybe you know the answer. Is this part of God's lasting laws for us, fasting and tithing? These are actually ceremonial laws. So the answer is no, they're not part of his lasting laws. His lasting laws are the Ten Commandments, that of love. These are fine things to do, but they're not required. Which, by the way, if you've never fasted, that's okay. It's good. Now, you could choose to fast, and that would be okay, too. Um, you can choose to do that. Um, and, and by the way, if you want to do that right, it's basically trying to remember all that Jesus gave up for you. So when you feel that pain of, 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 again, going without, that is to remind you of what Jesus did for you. That's not a bad thing, but it's not required. Tithing. Is it good to give 10%? Yeah. Is it required? No. Actually, God just loves a cheerful giver. He says, decide in your heart what you want to give. And the reason I bring this up is because what the Pharisee is doing is he's promoting his own standard of what we call adiaphora. He's taking adiaphora and saying, based on the adiaphora I have chosen, that's what makes me so good. Consider all the things he's not saying. He didn't say, God, I thank you that I'm more patient than I used to be. God, I thank you that I'm more forgiving than I used to be. I, I'm more self-controlled or disciplined, or I have greater fruits of the Spirit. He's not saying any of that. He's using adiaphora, propping him up, and that's the reason he's so filled with pride. Now, does this ever happen in Christian circles where we make ourselves feel better based on adiaphora, the middle things, neither forbidden nor commanded? Well, let's explore that a little bit. Have you ever been in a Christian circle where they gave off the impression, we've talked about worship, that they do worship a little bit better. You ever been in that circle? We're a little bit better because we do fill in the blank. Because we have a, a praise band and sermon series, we're a little bit better. And our band is awesome. And that's true, by the way. They are awesome. Or have you ever been in a circle where we're a little bit better because we do the pericope and liturgy? Ever gotten that impression? We're a little bit better because at Amazing Love we respond sometimes and we're expressive and we're okay with some emotions. But no, 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 we're a little bit better because we're more somber and reverent. We stay silent. Both of those attitudes are setting up middle things as, as the way to make myself seem more righteous than someone else in a way that God has never prescribed. These are the middle things. Right? Now, away from worship, what else could someone do? Well, I could say, well, I'm going to set my standard for morality, and I'm going to consider myself a little bit better because I just don't drink alcohol. And that's why I'm better. Now, that's a middle thing. It's, by the way, not sinful to drink alcohol. It is always sinful to get drunk, so there's a line. But, but again, you're not better if you've never touched alcohol. It's not a bad thing if you never have. It's just you're not better. Make sense? Or we might say, I'm a little bit better because I've never taken this form of entertainment, right? Take your pick, whatever that is. That's okay to be aware of where you want to go or not want to go, but, but that also won't be the reason that you're 
better. One final example, we consider ourselves, I'm a little bit better because I pray and read my Bible every day. Now, I'd be the first one to tell you that, that you should do that. It's really fun. It's really good. But that's not what makes you good or, or better. But because the Pharisee had propped up his own standard, look again how he feels. As we look at what he said, he, he said, so I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And he's not in a good position. What's really interesting is that this is a good man. You'd probably like him. He's a good neighbor. He's a good husband. He's, he's not a bad man, but he's in a dangerous spiritual position because he doesn't think he needs the help of God. And at this point, it reminds me of the very first sermon I preached. The very first sermon I preached was the, the, the parable of the wedding banquet. The wedding banquet, which, which is still one of my favorites because it, it gives us the idea that, that God likes to party. And God is throwing a party that lasts forever. And by the way, he wants you to come. That's pretty cool to me. I want to be there. Well, I'll never forget this portion when, when, when God was throwing this party and he comes down and he sees someone not wearing wedding clothes. And, and it was this extreme reaction to someone not wearing wedding clothes. Uh, here's, a, here's a picture of what happened. And, and, and this is the guy not wearing wedding clothes. But, but look at his extreme reaction. Look what it says. He said, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where will be the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now what's going on there? Is he like the ultimate style guru? Like I will not have bad fashion at my wedding party, right? No, let me explain what was part of this parable. See, in that culture, in that day, to go to a wedding party, they actually gave you wedding clothes to wear, which would be really cool and probably make weddings today very much easier, right? Something maybe you should consider if you're having a wedding. Just give away the clothes. There we go. All right. Um, well, that was the custom. So what it means, if, if someone's not wearing wedding clothes, they had to come to the entrance of the party and basically say, thanks, but no thanks. I'm looking pretty good, Right? For them not to be wearing wedding clothes, so they didn't take the gift from the king. And, and, and what this is a picture of is someone who says to God, you know what, I think I look pretty good on my own. In fact, I don't need what you have to offer. You should let me in based on who I am. Don't you know I am Pastor Dustin Bloomer? Don't you know I am part of Amazing Love? I am a faithful follower for years. And for seeking to be right with God in this way, it's not going to work. And I bet some of you already know this. One of the temptations we have is the better we are, and we should strive to be good out of love for Jesus, but the better we are, sometimes we convince ourselves that maybe we deserve extra goodness from God based on what we've done. Maybe we're convinced, like the older brother and the prodigal, that, that we've been a little bit better and deserve a little bit more. But the prophet Isaiah would remind us of something. The prophet Isaiah said, don't you know that all of us have become like one who is unclean? All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. 
What that guy in the wedding banquet was wearing and what the Pharisee is wearing are filthy rags. They don't look good at all. I cannot come to God and say, let me be right with you based on how good I am. He's not pleased. So today is a day of repenting if if we've ever wanted to be good in God's eyes based on who we were and what we've done and our own self-righteousness. Because the beautiful message we've come to hear is that of Jesus, our Savior, Redeemer. See, Jesus came to get right what we never could. Yes, he died on the cross and his death paid our punishment, but another thing he did was live an act of obedience for us. Each day perfectly in our place, Each day fighting temptation, never giving in, not having any sin, so that we through faith could be considered righteous. And for all who just simply believe in Jesus, this righteousness is given freely. It's not something we earn. Faith just holds out the hand and says, yes, I I want it, Jesus. Yes, give it. Yes, I believe. And we get it. And so through faith in Jesus, you and I right now stand in grace. You and I right now are wearing a robe of righteousness that is better than any wedding apparel. You and I are washed clean and secure as the children of God. You know, this parable, as we get into the Pharisee, it kind of reminds me of my experience this past week. Um, Some of you might have picked up on that I'm not feeling well. I don't know when it's going to go away. I'm at the point where I I don't remember what it was like to be healthy. (laughs) That makes sense? Anyway. And uh, I told a buddy of mine I wasn't feeling well, and and so uh, he came by Thursday with something called Miracle Soup. Like, that's a nice name. And it had turmeric in it, some of those superfoods. It had spinach in it. It was really tasty because he was a chef at one point. And I, I consider his offer of miracle soup. And, and, and really, I, I was so thankful. It's something that will stand the test of time because I would have done anything to be healthy, right? But, um, but imagine if I rejected the offer. If I said, thanks, but no thanks, I'm actually doing fine. I don't need any of your help. Imagine if he stood with the soup at the door and I just flipped it over like, how dare you? I'm fine. That'd be the height of ridiculousness, right? For someone who knows they're sick, they'll take any help that they can get. So with the gospel, you and I who know we are sick, who know we need help, When it comes to the gospel, all we want to say is, yes, Jesus, give, help, let me receive. And that's where the tax collector was. See, the tax collector was not a good man. In fact, let me explain tax collecting. Um, At the time they were living, uh, Rome was in charge of Israel. And and what Rome would do is they would hire out Israelites, their own people, to be traitors. And they were traitors because they were taking money from their own people only to give it to the Caesar. Not only were they traitors, but they were thieves. These were rich people, and everyone knows that they got rich by asking more than they needed to fill their own pockets um, using the authority of Rome. They were a hated bunch. 
But as hated and as bad as they were, he was in a really good spiritual position. Because when it comes to his prayer, what does he say? The tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He claimed for mercy. Mercy, the, the Greek word was helisterion, which means I, I hope that you could make up for my sin. Would you make propitiation, a sacrifice of atonement, uh, do something for me that would make me right? Please, something. And when God hears that cry, you want some miracle soup? I'll give it. You know, someone that has been truly helping the nation is a, a young lady from Japan. I don't know if you've heard of Marie Kondo. There is a new Netflix show called Tidying Up. Anyone hear of this? Sweeping the nation. Thrift stores are overflowing with unwanted goods. All because of this lady. She has an interesting method. Her method is uh, to organize things, uh, four, I think five or four categories, clothing, books, paper, kimono, which is a whole different bevy of things, and, and then also sentimental items. Uh, her way of keeping things are to keep only the things that spark joy. That's kind of a fun way to go about it. But, but I, what I'd recognize is that you will never tidy up your house if you don't think you need help. You're probably not interested in this show if you think you're already organized, right? To be helped, you need to ask for help. And that's, again, what makes the tax collector in such a good position. He knows he needs help, and when heaven hears the cry for help, heaven loves to respond with yes. In fact, if you're taking notes, uh, what I was learning in research is that God has unlimited grace for a sinner in need of forgiveness. If you're willing to break it down and say, I need it again and again and again, God says yes and yes and yes. See, we believe in mercies that are new every morning. We believe in an inexhaustible supply of grace in our time of need, all because of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is this, that Jesus has done everything, 100% what was needed for your salvation. And when we ask the question, how am I right with God? The answer is the finished work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. That's the only thing that makes us right. It's the only thing that works. In fact, Jesus kind of acts like that, that one brilliant student when you were part of a group project. Do you remember group projects in high school and grade school? All you needed was one brilliant classmate because they called it group work, but it wasn't. If you had that one brilliant person and they just took the charge, you were going to get an A, right? That was a smart way to do your group project. Well, in a superior way, that is what Jesus has done as long as we are part of this group called Christians who rely on the brilliant one named Jesus. He does it all for us, and we pass all because of his work. It's an amazing thing. So how could this help us with insecurity? Well, dear friends, if salvation had anything to do with me, 50%, 10%, 1%, I'd 
I could always be asking, God, do you like me now? Did I do enough? Did I do it right? And I'd never really know. But if the gospel is true, and it's all on Jesus as my group leader, then today, today for you, today for me, I walk out today knowing that if Jesus returns, I'm good. And it's not because I have it all figured out because I'm the exact representation of Jesus Christ, but it's because he did everything for me. And I have the right to be called his child. I'm wearing his righteousness. So what do I have to prove to anyone? If the King of kings and Lord of lords says he loves me, that's the gospel. You know, Pastor Tim Keller, he put it this way in his book called The Reason for God, The Effect of the Gospel on Us. Um, I, I love this quote. It says that the Christian gospel is that I'm so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I'm so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads me to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. and undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. So, so basically, I, I can't be the tax collector as if I have it all figured out and I'm not flawed. No, Jesus had to die for me. But there's also no way I'm going to live in despair. I'm so loved that Jesus did die for me. And so I can just be confident. Not one or the other. And get rid of my insecurity. To close, I wanted to tell you a story of how this worked on one individual. It's a story from Pastor Tim Keller. He tells a story of a man who, who didn't know how his relationship with God was because the church he was going to said, you know, to be a good Christian, you always want to share your faith. And to have a good status, you should share your faith. And by the way, sharing your faith is not a bad thing. But for this man, it was really hard. He, he was afraid of confrontation, afraid of being pushy, afraid of reactions. And so he could never get to a point where he shared his faith. And it always made him feel uncertain about his standing with God. Well, as time went on, he went to another church. He met with a pastor, and he shared, man, I, I never know how God thinks of me, because I know I should share my faith, but I just, I don't know how to do it. The pastor said something surprising. He said, that's okay. God will love you anyway. <laughs> God will love you anyway. Now, this is not condoning sin. This is not saying don't try to be righteous, but isn't this the gospel, that God will love you anyway because our salvation is not built on our performance. It is built on the finished work of Jesus Christ. The story goes that after that meeting, this man went on to share his faith uh, like crazy. In fact, th this new group of Christians were wondering, Pastor, what did you tell him that, 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 that made him share his faith so much? Pastor said, I told him he didn't have to. Because God would love him anyway. Isn't there some truth there that could set us free? I want you to know God's going to love you anyway. That problem you've been working on, whether you solve it or not, God loves you anyway. That mess you're in, I don't know the answer for it, but I do know God loves you anyway. Your fears of the future and how it's going to go, I, I don't know the end of it, but, but God loves you anyway. And your status is secure. Here's the beautiful gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May it give you confidence in your right standing once again. Lead you not to excessive pride 
nor to despair, but just godly confidence. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand. And the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, may it guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.